I'm lucky to be sitting in Saskatchewan, my first time here in Regina. It's a lovely town. And I'm at the SCIC office. Uh, and I'm speaking to an alumni and an ex-staff member of CUSO. Actually, CUSO. I was going to say CUSO VSO. Who am I speaking with? It's Carrie Strathy. Hi, Carrie. I've heard about you before. Tell me, Carrie, uh, your experience with CUSO. Um, first of all, before you left, you did anything with CUSO, uh, what was your education and what did you study? I studied politics both at the University in St. Catharines at Brock and then on to the University of Guelph. And when I was graduating from the University of Guelph, I saw a position advertised for a CUSO coordinator in Waterloo and applied for it. And just days before my graduation, I started my job. Oh, and uh, what year was that? That was 1978. 1978. Did We had offices in almost every campus. Just about at that time, yes. And that's when we were really recruiting university recent graduates. Yeah, recent university graduates. And did you have lots from We that did. Region? We had a very large engineering school at the University of Waterloo, so we had a lot of engineers. We had math and science and English teachers. We had some agriculturalists. One of the sort of strangest positions I think we recruited for <laughs> was a um, butcher. A butcher? Who went to Papua New Guinea to train uh, local Papua New Guineans in how to hygienically and properly butcher meat. Do you remember the person's name? It's I a long time ago. Don't. It's a long time ago and he came from a little German-speaking community just north of Guelph. Do you remember any names of some of the your favorite recruits at the time? Oh, I do. There was a woman named Donna who went as an English teacher and I had a chance to go and visit her while she was there. Um, we had some engineers who went to the University of, uh, well, it was called Prince Songala University in the southern part of Thailand, just on the border with Malaysia, and they were teaching at the university. Um, hmm. well, what else did we have? We had other agricultural people who went and did agricultural extension training in Papua New Guinea and in parts of Africa as well. We didn't have anyone, I don't think, who went to Latin America when I was there, but yeah, there were the certainly people from other places who did go there. So it's the 70s, you do that work. How long did mm -hmm. you work for CUSO? I worked for CUSO for three years and uh -huh. then decided that because of the work that I was doing in orienting the cooperatives to go and work overseas that I needed to study adult education. So I got accepted into the Master of Continuing Education program at U of S and uh, decided at that point to move back to Saskatchewan. So were you born in Saskatchewan? No, but I grew up here you for grew a number up here. of years. So you came home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so then you end up somewhere else. Where do you end up? I did. After I had uh, graduated with my master's degree in adult education, I was working for the YWCA of Canada in their international cooperation program and decided that I had spent a lot of time working in the area of international cooperation, but never internationally, always in Canada doing the, the development education or public engagement side of it, preparing other people to go overseas. Yes. And so I applied for a CETA scholarship and received the CETA scholarship, which was for a year and 
possibly renewable for a second year. And through my YWCA connections, I had reconnected actually with a woman that I used to know at the University of Guelph who had gone to Fiji and was working with YWCA there. And her partner was working in the area of energy and environment. And uh, it was a particular interest area that I had. So I put together a proposal with their assistance to actually work with a local environment, non-government organization that was based at the University of the South Pacific in Fiji. And I did that for two years. After that, I ended up working as a United Nations volunteer on more environment community development training work. And then from that, decided that I would uh, become a CUSA cooperant to be able to work with a group of traditional healers that had been established partly through a workshop that we did in Fiji with a group of women who had grown up in villages all over Fiji who were particularly interested in relearning what their grandmothers and their aunts had been teaching them or trying to teach them about traditional medicines and how they could use the simple plants that grew you know, right around their own homes and in the forest areas near their homes for medicinal purposes. Carrie, you've just been way ahead of your time all along your journey. First of all, international development, then environment, which is people are just starting to think about now, and um, and then these uh, this traditional healing, mm -hmm. this whole, whole area. Uh, how long did you serve there? Well, I was in Fiji for about seven years. Altogether. Seven years altogether. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when uh, when someone like me thinks about Fiji, we think not really me, but you think about five-star hotels that I'm going to go and spend two weeks in Fiji. What's it like to live there for seven years? Well, it's really different from the five-star experience. Not that I didn't get to go to a five-star hotel <laughs> while I was there, but it was mostly to uh, have a drink after work mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, on vacation, but I stayed at the little two-star hotel, usually down the beach a little bit from the big hotel, and my accommodation in Fiji was quite modest. We had a two-bedroom apartment that was just about, it was a, a two-story building, and my landlord and his family lived downstairs, and I lived upstairs with my husband and son, and we would usually take public transportation to work. We didn't own a car while we were there, so it was often the buses, although we were close enough. If it was a nice day and it wasn't raining, we could walk to the university as well. Or taxis were very frequent, and you just had to go out you onto the street corner and fly uh -huh. a taxi down. You say son. How old was your son? He was uh, eight when we first went oh, to Fiji. Oh, really? Yeah. And how did that uh, experience affect his world? Oh, it affected his world a great deal. I mean, his uh, one of his best friends was an Indo-Fijian who uh, actually just happened to live across the street from where I worked because his dad was a professor at the university and his uh, mother worked there as well. And we also had our landlord's son. Our landlord was an American married to a Fijian woman. So he had a lot of experience. The neighbors across the street were originally from Samoa, and there was a family of six. So they used to get together after school and play rugby on the street. And the <laughs> Samoan family was one team, and Michael and Gabriel, who lived downstairs, and a couple of the other kids from down the street would be the other team. Um, one of the things that 
I think really affected him a great deal was that he got to snorkel, he got to go bird watching, and uh, had a little shrimp farm at one point, which didn't last very long because it got a hole in it and the shrimp all escaped. But they did try <laughs> that with his. Uh, what is his he doing from now? Downstairs, he's a sociology student doing his master's degree in. Uh, social movements at Concordia University in Montreal. Wow, one of the things that we really noticed when he came back to school the first time, because he was in Fiji, came back to school, and then went to Fiji again, is about grade five, they were doing a unit in the social studies program on regions of the world. And of course they had Africa, they had Asia, they had Latin America, they had Europe, they had North America, but there was no Pacific. And Michael had just finished grade five in Fiji and had uh, done the regular exams that they are required to write at the end of every year. And one of the things that he had to do on the exam was to name, I think, the 27 prime ministers of the Pacific Island countries. Uh -huh. so he managed knew he to stopped. convince his teacher that the Pacific was in fact a very distinct region, and so it was actually added to the, the studies for the students in his class as a result of that. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So you go there, you, you do all this work, uh, you come back to Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. and what have you been doing since? Well, when I first came back, I was working for the Saskatchewan Council for International Cooperation, first of all on a project and then as acting executive director for a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the executive director came back from her maternity leave, I happened to apply for a job at the university at the Centre for Continuing Education, which I thought was a good fit given that my degree was in continuing education and I've been working at the Seniors Education Centre ever since and that was 2001. But you continue to volunteer as well, don't you? Mm -hmm. you you're on the board of SCIC? I am on the board of SCIC and when I first came back from my placement with CUSO, I was actually on the CUSO board for six years. Oh, oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. What years were that? Uh, that was 1998 um, or 99, and it was for six years following that. Wow. that was the maximum term, was three, three two-year terms that you could serve on the board. You have had everything to do with our organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to my first AGM of the newly amalgamated CUSO VSO in September, and I'm looking forward to that because I'm sure it will be very different from the old AGMs that I'm familiar with yes. under CUSO. Yes, yeah. you're one of the few members out yes. there. Yes. <laughs> And I hope that uh, you'll find positive things about this merger that will help us continue to do good work. Well, I think so. I mean, the executive director or, or chief executive officer of BSO is actually somebody I had the opportunity to work with while I was in Fiji, and he was working for the British ODA office at that time, Mark Goldring. Oh, great. Wonderful. Look at that. Connections and connections. Yeah, it'll be, I'm hoping he's at the AGM, so I'll get a chance to see now, your, your husband's a, a CUSO alumni. His yes, name? It's John Mowbray. Great. And he worked in the CUSO office itself when CUSO had a regional office in Fiji. In Fiji. Yeah. So your family has a lot to do. And so I, I personally hope that you will join us at the 50th anniversary in oh, 2011. Oh, being there, yes. 
you have to. Like, this is too big a connection with an organization. You practically own it. <laughs> well, I certainly share a lot of its history. You share a lot of its history. And I'm, I'm so new with the organization. I, I must say, just to, to your listeners, when I meet uh, people like Carrie who've, who've had a lot, have helped mold this organization, organization I, I would just am just blown away and want to thank you so much for your efforts. Uh, and uh, your thoughts and energy behind it is what it is today because of people like you. Well, that's right, and my life was certainly shaped by having the opportunity to work with CUSO, both in Canada and the work that I did overseas with CUSO in Fiji. It certainly made a big difference in terms of my outlook on life and many of the other opportunities that I've been able to be involved with subsequent to that. Well, thanks, and uh, thanks for the warm welcome to Saskatchewan. So all of you out there in Saskatchewan, we have something to say. We want you to apply. We want you to participate in, in QSO VSO's work in the future. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree people from Saskatchewan have a lot to offer. Oh, they have an awful lot to offer. And I remember when I first started working with QSO, the slogan that we used to use was the experience that lasts a lifetime, and it certainly does. Ah, thank you. That's a perfect way to end this interview. Have a great evening and thank you again. Thank you.